to the CND podcast. I'm Naima Kalachand and I'm the clinical editor. For this week's podcast, I spoke to Laura King, a clinical nurse specialist for children's asthma for Barking, Havering and Redbridge University Hospital NHS Trust. I spoke to Laura on an online call from my home in London when she had a free afternoon in the hospital. We spoke about the importance of good asthma control and inhaler technique, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic. We also discussed the role of pharmacists in the management of asthma and the resources that are available for asthma patients. I started off the interview by asking Laura why good asthma control is now more important than ever. And this is what she had to say. Okay, so I think one of the things that, um, so initially when, when obviously coronavirus started being a, an issue in the UK, we were more worried because it appeared that it was sort of primarily a respiratory virus. Um, so we were quite concerned that our, our asthmatic children would be sort of more at risk um, as it's kind of coming out that there's more information about it. And one of the other things that worries us is that it appears to be um, an inflammatory problem. So when you sort of consider this in the context of asthma, um, we know that our children um, with long-term conditions of any kind are sort of more at risk, that asthma is one of those conditions that, you know, it can sort of, um, what's the word, sort of niggle away in the background. Um, so yeah, that's why we're, we're, we're kind of trying to keep a bit of a closer eye on our asthmatic children at the moment. Mm-hmm. And could you maybe just talk to me about the symptoms of power asthma control? So what are the kind of things that pharmacists might be seeing in the pharmacy, either from adults or from parents or carers who are worried about their children? Um, and maybe if you could talk about, you know, maybe how these symptoms might overlap or be different from COVID-19 and, and, and you know, how they can differentiate between them. Yeah, absolutely. So um, when you look at asthma control, so we're looking at first and foremost, we're looking at sort of the classic symptoms that probably everyone's aware of. So things like wheezing during the day, being breathless during the day or night, um, coughing at night time, obviously being quite a, quite a common one. Um, things like exercise tolerance. So if the child um, or adult actually um, is struggling to sort of exert themselves, that there's sort of some of the things that we're looking for um, as signs of poor asthma control. Um, now in children, and, and I'm sure in adults as well, but children sort of being my area, we do sort of we do sometimes see some subtler symptoms. So, um, for example, if I was to call a child for the first time and sort of assess their asthma, um, some of the things I'd be looking for are whether they're you know they're sleeping well at night. Um, some children, if they're very poorly controlled, um, things like emotions will trigger them. So you might have a parent that says, um, you know, oh my child, if they get really excited or they really laugh, you know what they they cough quite a lot or if they have any extremes of emotion. So if a child gets really upset, if they get really cross, um, you know, most children have tantrums at some point or another, you know, do they then cough or, or wheeze afterwards? That's quite an important one. Um, other signs of poor asthma control are things like using their um, reliever inhaler more than we'd expect. So we say more than sort of three times a week is worrying. Um, some children will use it, you know, some children use it every day. And there comes a point um, where sometimes parents and sometimes the children themselves um, just become used to using it so often that it becomes normal. Um, often it's just sort of a it's a low lying problem. And when they feel better later on, they say, oh, my goodness, you know, I was I was tight all the time and, and it just becomes normal. Yeah. And I guess this is somewhere where pharmacists can kind of step in if they notice people are continually picking up repeat prescriptions for inhalers more than more than they should or, you know, um, seem to be complaining of not having any relief from symptoms. That's somewhere where, somewhere where pharmacists can kind of step in as well. 
yeah, and it's actually a point where pharmacists are probably really well placed to be um, sorry to be intervening. So one of the things that we know um, is a sign that things are really not going well is is sabutamol. So that's your use of your reliever inhaler. So for children, it will primarily be a sabutamol um, inhaler. If you use more than six of those in 12 months, um, there's a paper called the National Review of Asthma Deaths. And that paper says that if you use more than six in a year, you're actually at risk of dying from asthma. So that's quite that's quite a significant number. Um, and actually for some children, that's, you know, they're using, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 a year. Um, so it's just quite an important thing as the pharmacist who would be dispensing and, and probably the best person to see the, the child's pattern um, it's a really, it's a really important thing for pharmacists to know. Yeah, that, that's really important and very startling figures. Um, so yeah, and um, one thing I would say, sorry to interrupt, yeah, okay. um, is that for for children, the one thing that we do have to be quite mindful of when we're when we're saying you know six in a year, is that you know some children will have one at home, they'll have one at school, they might have one at mum's, one at dad's, one at after school club, one at the childminders. So. I think it's kind of taking that figure and perhaps just asking the question of, you know, have you used all of these or perhaps, you know, how long is your inhaler lasting? Um, because it might be completely um, innocent and they just have a lot of inhalers that are, are perhaps not even used. Um, but it's a really good place to start, I find, with a lot of patients to kind of really gauge their asthma control, but also their perception. You know, some people think it's absolutely fine to get through an inhaler in, in two weeks. Yeah, and I guess um, another thing is they might um, not necessarily be using the inhaler correctly, so they might be getting through it quite quickly, mm. but not actually receiving the full the full dose. And I guess kind of on that, it would be good to kind of hear from you what advice pharmacists should be giving patients on uh, their inhaler technique or, or parents or carers um, and how they can help anybody that's kind of struggling or, or what advice they can give. Yeah, absolutely. And you're absolutely right. Um, something that we do find... Um... So for two things, actually. So firstly, for children who, whose asthma control is poor, and we can maybe talk about that in a minute, um, they quite often say, my inhaler's not working. You know, I need a stronger one, talking about the reliever. Um, but again, we can talk about that in a minute. Um, but with the reliever inhaler, quite often the problem is their technique. So for example, you know, we all know that, that anyone should, who has a, a meter dose inhaler should be using a spacer we quite often find it's not the case um, and not just in the, the the teenagers which is who everyone expects to be to be sort of naughty and not using it um, quite often it's actually that they're using their inhaler straight into their mouth with really poor technique anyway um, and once we've sort of mastered the good technique they find that it works a lot better um, and the, the classic thing that I'm sure we all see you know when we're out and about is people sort of just doing several puffs straight into their mouth you know I hear it it drives me insane when I'm on the bus and train um you know actually they might be using 10 puffs at a time but actually they're really only getting maybe one or two because they're in their techniques so poor so something I find really helpful with those sorts of patients and particularly it does tend to be the older children and young people as kind of a really broad <laughs> a really broad generalization it tends to be the older children that are a little bit embarrassed to use a spacer um, we sort of what I tend to do is sit down with them, explain why we use a spacer. Um, you know, for example, um, quite often they're surprised to hear that. Um, so a meter dose inhaler, uh, you know, a bog standard MDI will come out at 70 to 90 miles an hour. You know, you can't possibly breathe at the same time as actuating that. So sometimes just explaining it through using sort of examples like, you know, explaining to a smaller child 
and their parent actually sometimes I pretend I'm telling the child but actually um, I'm aiming at the parent um you know if I had a Ferrari and I was going to drive it around the corner so if you imagine your airways being like something coming around the corner if I'm going to drive at a 90 miles an hour what do you think is going to happen you know usually they say it'll probably crash if I'm going to slow down and go at maybe five miles an hour how easy is it for the car to get where it needs to go and you know quite often you see the cogs turning in the parents heads as well so it's um it's just I suppose um targeting kind of your explanation at, at who you're talking to you know you could tell someone all day long to use a spacer if they don't understand why they're, they're not going to do it <laughs> so yeah and I wonder if you could just talk me through the technique of using an inhaler um without a spacer so we tend to just be really really strict and say that we don't use one without a spacer now I know that in adults it's something that does kind of get bounded around um personally we just say actually if you're going to use um a PMDI which is you know your bog standard inhaler we shouldn't really be using it without um something that we do do quite a lot is is sort of move children and young people so as long as you know the, the guidance is okay we move them onto different kinds of inhalers so for example something like an easy breathe where you don't need a spacer you know if you you know classic example would be maybe a 13 14 15 year old young person um so for my own my own practice you know that kind of age um young person they don't want to use a spacer they're really sporty quite often you know they don't want to carry a space around in their gym bag or in their pocket when they're playing football quite often we actually we you know we speak to the consultant or the gp um, and we move them onto a breath actuated device because actually they're going to get more benefit from that so that's where we we sort of go in and, and then we look at the preventer as well so if they want to i don't know something like a clenol for example and under salbutamol or um, salamol even ventolin um we'd move them onto something like like a cuvar easy breathe to match with a with a salamol easy breathe so that their their technique is the same and with regards to the um spacer devices what kind of advice should pharmacists be giving patients on looking after their spacer devices yeah what we what we say to parents and, and children is that we say you should be washing it sort of once a month um we ask them to wash it um, like you would your dishes so a nice bowl of warm soapy water you can take it apart as much as you're able, so that will that will depend on on the the kind of space you have. Give it a good wash, and then we ask them to. So what's really important is that they don't wipe it clean. So we just ask them to leave it to drip dry, um, and the reason for that is because um, if you if you wipe it on the inside, quite often it builds up static on the inside. Um, we say they don't really need to wash them any more than monthly. Um, you know, sometimes they come to the point where they're they're pretty disgusting, and you have to replace them. Um, but that should be fine. And um, are there any other uh, kind of lifestyle advice that um, pharmacists could give give patients, even to adults or even to, um, what you know, for children as well? Is there anything else that they can do to kind of help with their asthma control? Yeah, so I suppose um, smoking cessation is always, um, is always an issue. So with the parents, um, clearly, um, but obviously with, with some young people, you know, they, they do start to, to start smoking. So I'd say not to be kind of scared to ask the question. You know, there are, there are ways to ask it very tactfully. And, you know, if the parent or carer is smoking or even the young person is smoking, it's kind of being prepared to, to offer, you know, a non-judgmental bit of advice. You know, have you thought about, have you thought about stopping? Have you thought about seeking advice? Um, you know, quite often I start with, you know, I'm not here to nag you, but, you know, we all know that smoking is, is not good for you. It's particularly bad for people with, with respiratory problems. Um, in terms of other lifestyle issues, we sometimes find that 
um, some of our children and young people can be triggered by um, things like emotions and sort of their, their emotional well-being. So I suppose that's something we ask about. It's not necessarily something that everyone would either be placed to ask about or feel comfortable asking about. You know, a pharmacy perhaps, you know, unless you're unless you're in a private space, it, it, it might not be the best place to, to be discussing it. But there are other bits like, um, for example, if the children or young people are suffering quite badly with hay fever, you know, I can't think of a better person to discuss that with than a pharmacist, you know, that I'm sure they'll have lots of practical ways to kind of minimise pollen, minimise things like, you know, dust um, exposure. Um, and, you know, parents are usually very, very happy to, to hear kind of practical ways to, to minimise it. I've seen on, on Asthma UK and other asthma and allergy websites about a personalised asthma action plan. Um, I was wondering if you could tell me a bit more about this and you know what they are and how they should be used yeah absolutely so um a personalized asthma action plan or or an action plan um is something that um the guidelines say and and the asthma literature will say that that everyone with asthma should have um and this is a written plan you you know as you say there are there are a few different forms asthma uk are probably my go-to um for children and and um adults just because they've got them ready to go Um, across London we actually tend to use the asthma UK one and it's a written plan to say this is my medicine this is what I do when I'm feeling unwell and then actually this is what I do in an emergency and it's a really good way for people to sort of know where they're at with their asthma we know that if you have an asthma plan you're about four times less likely to need hospital treatment so that's quite a significant number you know and this is again from the same the review of asthma deaths um, we've known it for a long time. Um, I think the report was 2015, so a long time ago. Um, but actually, only about 30% of people have one. So it's just something that we're really trying to push kind of all around, really. So from the hospital, certainly in the community and primary care. And, you know, there's absolutely no reason why a pharmacist wouldn't be an excellent person to complete one with a family or, or a child or an adult even. So you can download them from Aspen UK. There are different versions for children and adults. Um, the children's one is a nice one just because it's set out like a traffic light so green is when I'm well I take my inhaler every day my preventer amber is perhaps when I'm a little bit unwell and and red is when this is an emergency this is what I'm going to do so it just sets it out really clearly for the child young person or the parent actually or perhaps the school or an after-school club again all of the places where they go we quite often say to the families you know this is a piece of paper please share it with your school we share it with the GP anyway maybe snap a picture on your phone or, or download it on your phone because actually if you if you need help you can then show it or if you're perhaps you know quite anxious and you're worried about that you wouldn't know what to do you, you've got a really clear guide um, and on the back is also things like your triggers so it's just a really good way to to sort of have a plan when you're if you're unwell yeah and I guess pharmacists are really well placed to kind of remind patients that they should have one of these asthma plans too. oh absolutely and actually you know with a pharmacist skill set they're probably, again, another person where, you know, probably missed quite a lot in the literature and in probably in my world. Um, but they're probably the best place person to complete, you know. They've got the medicines knowledge, you know. They probably know their patients really well. Quite often the community pharmacist, you know, my, my dad's a community pharmacist. He knows his patients really well. You know, they trust him. Actually, him saying, if you thought about having an asthma plan, may well even be better received than, you know, someone like me, a specialist or their GP, because, you know, they're in all the time. They know him well. Um, it's a really good time to do it. Um, the other thing being that, you know, the pharmacist perhaps might be the only clinician that ever sees the patient and their inhalers at the same time. 
So, you know, that they're really well placed to really do a really thorough review or make a plan. So, yeah, I think it's it's perhaps something that's been missing in the past. One final question um, on this. Um, how often should these asthma plans be reviewed? So obviously the patient fills it in with the, with their pharmacist or their, or their GP or, or asthma specialist. But then how often do these need to be reviewed? Um, so as a specialist, I, I review it every time I, I consult with the patient. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that the pharmacist would have to fill in a new one every time, you know, they fill a prescription. But it might just be worth just as um, kind of just as a standard thing, you know, when someone comes to collect a prescription, maybe just asking the question, do you have an asthma plan? Um, if they've if they've never had one before, then yep, yeah, absolutely do a new one. If there's a change in their in their therapy, so if they're stepped up or down, um, it's a really good time to just review the plan and, and get and you know make sure that they really understand um, really understand the treatment, but also when to seek help. You know there might be times where perhaps parents or young people leave it a little bit too late to seek help because they don't really understand how poorly they are, or equally the other way round. You know they seek help from from the emergency department when actually they could just as well have, have maybe popped to the GP or gone to the pharmacy for advice. That was Laura King, a clinical nurse specialist for children's asthma for Barking, Havering and Redbridge University Hospital NHS Trust. We spoke about the role of pharmacists and how they can identify patients who may not be fully benefiting from their asthma therapy, how they can identify incorrect use of asthma inhalers and identify signs of poor asthma control. Laura discussed how well-placed pharmacists are to intervene and how asthma treatments can be improved in both adults and children. You can find more clinical information on COVID-19 on our coronavirus hub on our website. I'm going to end this week's podcast on a bit of positive news. Kent LPC tweeted about a lovely letter that was sent from MP Tracy Crouch to Peden's Pharmacy in Larkfield. The letter said that she wanted to take the opportunity to thank the team for everything they were doing in supporting local residents who have been asked to shield during the coronavirus outbreak. She understood that while GPs and dentists have been able to close or triage patients, pharmacies have been unable to do so and appreciate that teams are undoubtedly exhausted, working longer than usual opening hours, organising a far greater number of home delivery services and working over the bank holidays. The pandemic has shown just how vital pharmacies are to their local communities and therefore I will do all I can to ensure the government is supporting pharmacies and that any proposals to close pharmacies are quickly revised. Finally, she says she understands that some local pharmacies have not received adequate PPE, especially at the start of the crisis. She says, I remain in close contact with local councils and CCGs and now I'm assured that the flow of PPE has greatly improved. Once again, thank you for all your hard work. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to CND Podcasts on iTunes or your preferred Android app. Thank you for listening.